0: hear from some people this morning that will probably be sharing some tears and it might be difficult for them to talk. Um, Hopefully you have some idea why now. Um, I've been telling our teenagers that are going to talk this morning, I said, it's great, I want you to cry. And they are laughing at me. I said, no, really, it means that that this means something to you. Anyway, now that I've got them in the right mood, uh, we're going to have Rebecca Sylvester, Grace Jenkins, and Gordon Duran spent a month down in the Dominican Republic. Uh, They worked with uh, 14, uh, they worked in an orphanage, I'm not gonna tell you everything they're gonna tell you, Um, but they were there for the three weeks before we got down there, and then the week that we got there. Um, And they're gonna tell you a little bit about their month in the DR. Good
1: morning, everyone. I told myself I wasn't going to cry. My name is Rebecca, and the month I spent in the Dominican Republic was truly the best month of my life. I lived with 14 amazing boys, and they have become an enormous part of my life. I see them as my brothers. It's so hard for me to express my feelings (laughs) towards the community and the friends I had left behind. It's changed how I view the world and how I want to live the rest of the time I have here. I would just like to thank all of you for giving me the chance to have this experience. I hope I have the opportunity to do this in years to come. Thank you. Um, Going to the Dominican Republic to work in the orphanage for the month of June was such an amazing experience. Every morning at about 9 we ate breakfast with 14 energetic crazy boys. Monday through Friday we did some English classes and sports and crafts and reading time every day. Each boy has a story. Many have lived on the streets for extended periods of time, and others have family that just can't afford to take care of them anymore. But I have never received so many hugs and kisses in such a short period of time. The love and enthusiasm that they have for everyday life is just contagious. Throughout a month there, we gave away our time and energy, but we gained so, so much more. It's amazing that the kids there understand something that I feel like most adults here don't even understand. That in everything, you should have complete faith that God will take care and provide for you. That's one of the biggest things that I took from this trip, that I am in God's hands all the time, and he's going to watch over me. I think about the boys all the time. I miss them all so, so very much. I want to thank everyone for supporting us financially and through the prayer. As we were there, it was such an incredible experience. Thank you for all your help.
0: I didn't write anything, so I don't know what I'm going to say. (laughs) Um, I just want to say thank you for everybody that helped us get there, that prayed for us while we were there. Um, I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me while we were there is as much as we try to go and we give... um, and we're there to serve them and love them. The, the biggest thing I see is how much I take away instead of giving. Um, just all the things they teach me about love and compassion and being happy um, and patience, definitely patience. Um, is, I'm always amazed when I come back after every year about how much I take away instead of giving. Um, so that's just what stands out to me the most. So thank you. Thanks guys. So that was one aspect of our trip was these guys and sending them down as sort of our advanced scouts, if you will. Um, Another aspect of our trip, and we've been doing this uh, for the last six years when we've been going down, we've uh, done construction every year. And three years ago, we incorporated um, a medical team. And so uh, now I'm going to have the leader of our construction crew come up, and he's going to share with us a little bit. This is Michael Dowdy. It was his first year going on this trip. And um, he told me he's going to try to keep it under 20 minutes.
2: So (laughs) we will see. No promises, though. Um, I'm not a particularly gifted speaker, so if you don't mind, I'll... Sort of stick to the script here. Uh, I just had a lot of thoughts that, that were sort of broad-spectrum ideas that I think the Lord was sort of showing to me after we came back. I mean, we did a lot of work. We did everything. And it, it's good to have a month or so to kind of sit back and reflect over over the things he's kind of showed us. I, I want to talk about those those larger issue things. Um, uh, obviously, we all have, everyone that worked with us has individual stories about um, Particular experiences and, and things that we all had happened to us. And I encourage all of y'all to come and grab somebody with a blue t shirt and just have a chat with us about those particular instances. But I wanna, right now, I kinda wanna talk about those, again, those broad spectrum things. Um, trabajo, work. Uh, to me, there's, there's no better way to sort of sum up what we did that week that we were there. Um, everyone that was down there, we we worked really hard, particularly the construction team, because that was the team that I was on, um, (laughs) it, it was work, (laughs) it was toil and sweat and labor, and it was exerting ourselves to, to accomplish a goal, and I think this is a concept that, that we sort of miss the full meaning of maybe in our culture today, um, I mean, what do we really mean when we say, man, the Lord's really at work in, in so-and-so's life or in such-and-such a such place? I mean, what, what does it mean to be at work? What does it mean for me? I mean, I, I work in an architecture office. When I come in, I, I sit down in a chair in front of a computer and I draw. I click a few buttons and these shapes, they appear on the screen. And about a year later, I show up on the job site, and lo and behold, there's a giant concrete column right where I said it would be. How did, how did it get there? I don't know. Who put it there? Not sure. It must be magic. Hmm. Push some buttons and voila. There it is. I think it's easy for us to imagine God working in in a similar way. I mean, he says it, it happens. Here it is. It must be magic. Now, I know we're all keenly aware of God's omnipotence. We know, because we're really good at knowing, that nothing is too difficult for God, and nothing really impedes him. We know his power, but but do we know his work? It's easy, I think it's easy for us to sort of imagine God as a guy kind of sitting in an office or in a control room somewhere, kind of directing things from a distance. You know, I mean, he's on top of things, he gets it, he's, he's aware, but to him... Fixing things is kind of like pressing buttons on a keyboard. Oh, looks like Michael needs a job. California's on fire again. Oh, maybe God has, like, touchscreens or some minority report, crazy view panels. In my crude imagination, I like to think that the Lord has a little bit more advanced IT department than I do. Um, but, you know, Barahona needs a new church. Nothing Nothing little almighty mouse click can't take care of press a few buttons and voila here it is easy peasy no sweat <laughs> i think that we cheat god a lot out a lot of his identity when we simplify him this way and i get why we do it too we say oh god's all powerful he can't get tired or fail or give up he doesn't get spent the way we mortals do he can't really overexert himself and so he doesn't really exert himself at all. Things just must be automatic for him. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't really work or toil or grow weary. And I don't think that you have to look too hard in scripture where the Lord describes himself to find that that's not really true. I mean, Genesis 2, God rested from his work, and throughout the Old Testament we see God talking in numerous instances where he's quite weary with his people. Um, and I think it's most clearly evident in Christ, who frequently got tired and frustrated and, dare I say, even exhausted at all the toil and work that he went through. But I think where we trip up is we associate this with with sort of insufficiency, with weakness, when in reality, toiling and exerting yourself is just the evident result of the full measure of energy dedicated towards accomplishing something. So when God works, He puts everything He is into what He does. He toils, He sweats, He leaves it all in the field, because God is not distant; He's near, and He's chiefly and intimately and fully engaged in the work that He sets to do. We 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 worked on a new church. All right, House of God, man, they're just so many scriptural and theological implications to that particular task. But I think that I find that the one that sticks out to me the most is, um, is the episode in Second Samuel where David has been established over king, as king over all Israel. He's, he's defeated all his enemies, and he's sort of, he's looking out across his conquest and uh, the peace that he's won, and he sort of says to himself, Oh, well, I'm going to build a house of God. I got a nice one. He should have one too. Nice place for him to dwell. You know, it seems like a great idea, doesn't it? And even the prophet Nathan, he says, go, sure, go right ahead. All for it. But we see that the Lord is, is not really impressed. He kind of says to David, and this is sort of my paraphrase, excuse me? You're going to build me a house? You understand that, that I laid the foundations of the planet and framed up the very heavens of existence on my own and for these hundreds of years that I've been God over Israel not once have I even asked for a house my dwelling place has been the tabernacle which you want to replace where I could dwell in the midst of my people wherever they go no you don't build me a house in fact I build you a house I build you a lineage and through that lineage, I will build for myself a kingdom. And I will build for myself a house that I may dwell with and even in my people forever. And don't, isn't that just, just clearly evident in Christ? Who has fully established God's kingdom and made us, our hearts, his dwelling place, his house. And it's, it's pretty clear how much he labored and toiled to accomplish that. So, so in Barahona, we we labored and toiled. We were working on on the foundations of the new church. We dug trenches in rock by hand with picks and shovels. And people people tend to always talk about the things that they sort of take for granted the most when they um, when they go on these mission trips. And I never thought that mine would be Alabama red clay. <laughs> It was ridiculous. And we worked, we worked with guys that put us to absolute shame. Just, they were incredible. They had superhuman endurance, and I have never seen anybody work that hard. Well after we were all spent, they just, they just kept on keeping on. Um, and it, it wasn't like we slacked off either. We gave it all we had. We left everything on the field. And it was, it was a really spectacular feeling to come home at the end of each day with, with literally nothing left. Um, sometimes it was tough, though, because we'd, we'd get up the next morning and we'd see that we'd only really taken the trench down another couple inches, despite all of that energy and effort. And you kind of think to yourself, man, is this really worth all this work? I mean, here we are sweating ourselves dry over something that's going to get buried and filled in and no one's ever even going to see it. And again, so very many scriptural metaphors for foundations here, uh, so many that, that one of the things we did is, I think you saw it earlier, we, we had little strips of paper and we wrote down uh, particular passages that dealt with, with foundations and we, we tied them into the rebar and we, um, we, we literally poured and cast them into place. That was really neat. Um, passages like, the wise man built his house on the rock, which as we clearly discovered is about a hundred times harder than building shallow foundations in the sand. It's difficult. It's expensive, and you never even see it. You're never aware of how much work was put into it. Until the storm. And in the Dominican Republic, storms are not really little cute, tame metaphors. Hurricanes are real. And when they come, you can't just pack up and visit your family in Missouri for a week. There's, there is no evacuation here from these storms. Your foundations... Must hold. And, and our storms are not really figments of our imagination either. We can't run away from our trials. Our foundations must hold. And the Lord knows this. After all, he is the master builder. And it is in us that he builds his house, his dwelling place. And he labors and sweats with us, digging deep in our hearts through the stones and the trash and the difficult soil to establish a strong foundation. And no one will ever see it, and we don't even see it ourselves. And we look at the job site of our lives, and we say, man, what is taking so long? It has been forever, and we aren't even out of the ground yet. I can't see any progress. God God must not really be working. But we're so so very wrong. And when the storms come then we see what took so long and we'll rest secure on the rock that he has placed us on and we will see that he has not toiled in vain. God works. He sweats. He labors because he is chiefly and intimately and fully concerned with his house, his children. No, we we do not build God a house. He builds it himself. He does not leave the stake of his beloved up to us. We are incompetent. We get tired. We give up. But he invites us to work alongside him, to let us experience the joy of his labor as he works to bring about his kingdom. He lets us get a taste of the immense fulfillment of pouring everything we have into a great task, his task. And we get a small glimmer of what he has done, of what he has poured into us. When we, when we go and do work in the Dominican Um, we're not fulfilling some duty that we're obliged to because we have a bunch of extra time and cash that we don't really know what to do with. It's it's not some noble but kind of secretly annoying chore that we're expected to do because we've been blessed with some relative comfort, the same way a homeowner is expected to clean his gutters or mow the lawn. Yes, we are commanded to go, but we are commanded thus because the Lord wants to show himself to us. He wants us to participate in his work so that we may taste the sweetness of laboring like he did, and that even through dumb and dull instruments like us, picks and shovels, he works to build his kingdom and bless his people. We do not build God a house, but in his grace, he lets us take part in his work, his joy. So thank you all for letting us go and participate in that.
0: I think Michael wrote more for that than I do for like three sermons. So, um, thank you, Michael. Uh, I'd like to invite up uh, Dr. Dowdy over here, and she'll tell you a little bit more um, about uh, kind of an overview of our clinic and some uh, important statistics that we took.
3: This is the other part of the, the uh, group that sweat and toiled. <laughs> Only we were indoors, <laughs> or some of us were. Um, as you can see up here, we uh, the medical clinic or the medical team. Uh, about half of us were on the medical team, and uh, there were uh, about four providers: two of the two local physicians, and myself and Dr. Cash were the providers here. And uh, this is a breakdown of the number of patients that we saw in, in a span of five days. And each day we spent about uh, a total of, what, about five hours total seeing patients. So that's a pretty impressive number of patients that we saw. And, and there is not anything that I can tell you to impress upon you how important it, it was to us to have the infrastructure it was not just the four of us seeing that many patients. Can you imagine how many other people it took to, to process that many patients? A lot of, of helpers, a lot of people running between uh, rooms and helping us and doing vital signs. So, all of, to all of you who helped us with that, just a great big thank you. All of the people who translated for us, and Sophia. Love you, Sophia. Um, we did ultrasounds. Uh, For those of you who haven't been with us very long, three years ago we joint purchased an ultrasound machine with Choose Life, and they use it all year long and and give us the uh, privilege of using it when we go on our mission trips. So uh, one or two weeks a year we are able to borrow their machine. This year we were able to borrow their printer as well, which saved us an enormous amount of time. So we did about 85 scans, and this is a breakdown of how many types of scans that we did, Um, very, very helpful. Some of the the types of things that we saw with the ultrasounds, we saw gallstones, kidney stones, we saw a lot of women's health problems, we saw a couple of fetal anomalies. One lady was um, the baby I measured to be 10 pounds 14 ounces already and uh, she was not scheduled to have a repeat c section for another three or four weeks, and obviously her dates were wrong, so it was we were able to get her into the hospital that that day for an induction or for a repeat section the next day so Obviously, the ultrasound with us having the ultrasound with us is very helpful. But several women who thought they were pregnant were not the ultrasound was able to confirm that we saw several abnormal cysts and abnormal findings. One of the interesting stories that we saw a woman that was severely anemic, um, I think her hemoglobin was something like five-something, and I uh, went to Dr. Ali, and we, we um, Sharon, our lab person, uh, we, she repeated the, the, um, the lab again and again and kept finding the same result. And, and normal, for those of you who don't know, is, is 12 to 15, and hers was like five-something, and I went to Dr. Ali and said, this lady has a problem, and he looked at me and he said, this is incompatible with life. <laughs> and I said, well, yes, yeah, she's still walking around. So we, lo- we loaded her up and took her with us back to Barahona, and, and, um, and she actually walked a couple blocks off to the hospital to be, to be seen and probably get a transfusion. So we saw a lot of interesting things. Um, the ages of the people that we saw, Uh, The youngest was one month, the oldest was 93. And this is the breakdown of the ages. The majority of the people were from five to 49, but uh, in the yellow, that's the number that were less than five. Uh, In the the green and the purple on the top, those were older than 50, and then the purple is older than uh, 65. Dr. Cash saw the majority of those, the lion's share of those patients. And in, in order of frequency, when um, I analyzed the data, this is the, the top um, number of uh, complaints. Actually, I don't know if those, those got switched around. But anyway, those are the types of complaints that we saw. And the next slide. And the next slide. And then the, uh, the prescriptions that we dispensed. So I think last year we dispensed about 1,400 uh, this year, we dispensed a total of 2,076 prescriptions. And if you can imagine, I don't even know if pharmacies dispense that many in that short a period of time. Um, for three people, a pharmacy, t- pharmacist Tim Batt and two of his uh, medical techs helping him. Uh, and this is a portable pharmacy. We had, we had drugs in baggies and suitcases that we loaded up. And took to our different sites and unpacked them every single day in a different place. So this was just an an incredible, incredible um, task. Uh, And I was just so proud of all the work that we did. Um, And just, I'm kind of like Michael. It's taken me about a month or so to, to really process. I'm a slow learner and a slow processor. And... And I've just, nothing grand and spiritual this time, but, but a lot of epiphanies when I was, I was there about some of the, the, the things that I saw and witnessed as far as women's health. In end. And I'm, I'm getting engaged in some organizations. I'm going to be speaking uh, in a couple of months at the World Congress of Use of Ultrasound in Medical Education in South Carolina about the use of ultrasound in medical missions. And it's, it's becoming a burden of mine to, to, to see about increasing the utilization of ultrasound in, in medical mis- missions. There's such a great need and, 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 and ultrasound is such a great tool. Um, but the, but the, women's health is a huge, huge issue in, in uh, international and global health. But, you know, I can share that with you if some of you have interest in, in discussing it. I have some thoughts that I'm pulling together and probably will, as I analyze the data even further about um, what we're looking at, I may even uh, start applying for some grant money to, to look into doing some more as we go back down there. Sophia and I have even talked about going back the first of the year and and, uh, spending some additional time there. So I hope you'll keep us in in your prayers as we do that. But thank you to all of you who made this this possible with your your giving and your prayers and your support and for all of the things that you you helped our, our team with. So thank you very much.
0: Now I'd like to invite up Dr. Cash to come and and share a word with you, and um, the highlight of each day on our mission trip is uh, is at the end of every day we get to spend some time in in devotional and prayer, and we get to hear about what happened, and Dr. Cash always has the liveliest, uh, most exciting stories to tell. I don't know if you'll hear them here or not, but uh, he's never disappointing, so...
4: I'll ask you to start out, open your Bibles, and go to Isaiah chapter 64. And my prayer will come from uh, verses 6 and 8. All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind sweep us away. But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, you are the potter, we are all the work of your hand. Amen. So, the people I saw were in the lower, the older people primarily. Uh, The biggest problem uh, by far was high blood pressure and all these smiling faces that we saw, the little children, they're Most of them are destined to become older people with hypertension. High blood pressure is like you have a water hose and it's turned too high. And the tiny little millions of little blood vessels uh, become thickened and they rupture and they have multiple strokes and they do the best they can. But if you spend two or three hours a day just trying to find enough drinking water, it's difficult to really think about better take my blood pressure pill. And it's just a difficult situation that they have. Um, and they understood the importance of it. They, but they were philosophic about it. And, and so blood, and it, we had some people in triage who hadn't done it before. And the first few days, you hear about blood pressures of 250 over 120 and think, well, that's not correct. I'll check it myself. It was usually higher. <laughs> when I checked it. But people come to my office with pressures of 160 over 70 and they're horrified. What do I do? And I'm thinking, well, that's not so bad. Um, we saw one young lady with a blood sugar of a thousand and she didn't feel too bad, but she didn't feel well, but they're accustomed to feeling ill. And, uh, Probably eighty percent of the people I saw had abdominal pain, abdominal cramping, and they knew it was parasites. And if I didn't mention it, they'd start trying to say worm or something because that's indigenous. That's in the, it's in everything. Um, here, if you have a medical complaint, if it hurts when you urinate, you might wait till Monday to call the doctor, but you wouldn't wait eight or nine months. Um, but that was more the rule than the the exception. In fact, their concept of time is different and they say it hurts, um, you know, it hurts when I urinate and I'd ask how long, they'd act like, how long? Finally they'd say, well, Christmas. But it was always a long time. Um, So I wouldn't call the diseases they have those of neglect these are hard working people, but it, it, most of the things I saw were, were chronic illnesses. And then there's the younger population, the people in their 30s and 40s who've had an injury or they've had, uh, they got an infection, and, and those are, can be treated. Um, of course, everybody going to the doctor has the, their physical ills, and many, many of them, maybe all of us, but some more visible than others, have their emotional illnesses. And and I think that's true with everybody. But some are more obvious about it than others. The most striking, I think, that that I recall is I was with my translator. My translator was a believer, so he was okay with praying with patience or whatever. Um, and so, and I was taught always... You know, always to ask open-ended questions. Sometimes you hate yourself for doing it. But the question is, why are you here? It's not, I know you have high blood pressure. So as usually, it was our last day or next to the last day, we asked the lady, why is she here? Well, she said, well, my husband's been killed and my son is dead and I'm all alone. And that really wasn't telling us why she was here. She said, oh, yeah, by the way, my blood pressure's up. And we we addressed her blood pressure and this sort of thing. But it was, well, she was all alone. So we prayed with her. And I prayed, the translator translated, and uh, just prayed that God would wipe her tears away, that, that God would prepare for her needs, and that sort of thing. And then she stopped and she said, oh, wait, now it's my turn. And she sang. She sang for about three minutes. It was in Creole, and my Spanish translator couldn't translate. But he said, I think it means God is always watching you and he's always here. But she attracted a crowd, and everybody was around watching. And it was really touching. And I felt honored that she would sing to me. Um, and, and even though it was tiresome, and, and maybe we're just wimps, I don't know how I could do what Michael did. I just don't, can't imagine but it was very tiresome. It was very hot. But it, it was—it uh, really was fun, um, and it was—it um, was just really a privilege to to be there and to help. Um, and I'm grateful for everybody who came. Can everybody who came stand up? Let's stand up. Come on. Now, everybody who is related to anyone, stand up. Standing up, please. Like family. Everybody who prayed for the people standing up, stand up. And everybody even thought about praying, stand up. <laughs> so I thank everyone from the bottom of my heart because we are there to represent you. We're 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 the, the clay and God's the potter. But it's a joint effort, and we certainly could not do it without, without everyone doing what they're doing. And I might say again, I said it last year, Diana plans all this. I'm not a good planner. People like Diana, Jennifer, Dan, planned every bit of this. And we could not have done it without their planning. But everybody who came played a vital role. Uh, the people need, the, the, the children are lonely, so our children played with their children. Um, but it was very good, it's a good, opportunity for ministry, and I do thank everyone for supporting us. Thank you.
0: Alright, we're about halfway done, I think. <laughs> I'm just joking, sort of. The pictures I'm going to show you here, just just a few of these pictures, again, kind of reminders of of why we go down and why we go back. It's, it's all about the people that we see and, and the way that they touch our lives and hopefully the way that we touch their lives as well. You know, I think we started this thinking it was going to be a fun, exciting trip to a tropical location. Um, Randy told me, sure, I can take some people down. And uh, we did that. And that was six years ago. Um, I was totaling up some figures uh, last night, and I believe we've taken, over the last six years, 69 different individuals have traveled with us to the Dominican Republic. Okay, that's just 69 individual people. We've had, a few of us have been every single year. Some of us have been for five years. Some of us have been for four years, for three years, for two years. You get the idea. We've taken a lot of people down. Um, in fact, if you've been on a trip with us, would you stand up? If you have been at all in the Dominican Republic with us, would you stand up here? Okay, thanks. You can sit down. That's just a, a small sample. And we've had entire families that have come, and sometimes they, the um, you know, all of the daddies have been down with us, all of the chandlers have been down with us, all of these people um, that they're, they're sitting here, and, and we go, okay, why do we keep going back? What's what's the point of all this? And hopefully, um, you're not thinking that necessarily, uh, but if you're thinking, what is it about the Dominican? Why is it that we go there every year? Um, why not somewhere else? Why not the Congo um, or Sudan or some other exotic foreign location? Um, And that's something that we've thought about. From the very beginning, um, the very first time that I met Pastor Pedro, uh, the first night we were down on our very first trip, he asked me, so are you guys going to come back next year? I said, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I can't make that kind of decision. You have no idea. I have no responsibility, no power, um, except for when I'm in another country. That I'm, in, I'm in control. Um, but other than that, you know, back at the church, I don't make any decisions. I let the, you know, the people figure that out. And he was talking to me. And he said, no, you don't understand. You have to come back. I said, and it was like one of these high-pressure sales pitches where he's sitting me down at a table. He's talking to me in broken English. It's my first day in a foreign country. Our money hadn't arrived yet. I mean, it was really crazy. I, I felt like I was almost like, okay, if I don't promise to come back, what's it going to do to me? <laughs> but as we have built this relationship over the last six years, um, we understand more and more about why he wanted us to return. Now, when, he, when, when I first talked to him, I was thinking, you know, Pastor Pedro, it costs us so much money to come down here. You know, just for our little group of eight people, it cost us over ten thousand um, dollars to to travel down and to be with you guys. Wouldn't you rather have us send you money? And you know what he told me? No. He said, I don't want you to send money down here. That's not, that's not anything. He said, God can provide money anytime He wants to. Money's not a big deal. What's really important is that you come down and you get to know us and you have a relationship so that you are invested with us here. I thought, wow, maybe He's really onto something. Um, and, the, and the more that we've gone down and the more that we've uh, returned, the deeper our bond goes. Our bond grows with um, our brothers and sisters in the Dominican you know where we come we we return we see a lot of the same people and the same faces and we get to know their struggles and their joys Um, i would start bawling if i tried to tell you about some of the individuals that we know um, that we've seen through the years okay uh, here's a small picture just this is what um, this was a in 2008 the first year we went down there this was an empty basketball uh, goal you can can't even really tell but on the other side there's a there's a goal, but there's no hoop or rim because it had broken off and rusted off. And the second year when we came down, um, he's telling me, and, I, you know, hey, we really have this big need. We have a lot of orphans in this city. I said, really? Yeah, a lot of boys live on the street. That um, a lot of them aren't orphans, but their parents kick them out of the house um, because they'll have too many kids to take care of. Um, the one year we went down, and I think we told this story a few years back, uh, but the mother came to our clinic And asked us if we would take her five-year-old son. Because she was pregnant with her fifth child. And she couldn't take care of any more children. She said, would you please take him? We said, what do you mean take him? She said, take him. Because when I have this next child, he's going to be living on the street. Okay. And so we saw that there is a need. And he's telling me, we need an orphanage. 2010, we returned and this work was being started. And Pedro's telling me, we're going to have 100 kids here, and it's going to be three stories high. If you saw the type of work that Michael was talking about before, you would think there is no way that they will ever build an orphanage. That's what I thought, too. I said, there's no way this will ever happen, because everything is done by hand. Uh, Cement is mixed by hand. Concrete blocks are lifted by hand. There's really barely any power tools. Um, And so in 2010, we went down. Work was being started. We helped to work with that. 2011, the second story got put on, and, and if you're here and you're building something and it's taking this long, I mean, nothing happens this slow in the United States. But there, that's just kind of how it happened. And the work continued, and groups kept returning, and they would bring laborers down, and they would bring funds down for materials, and the work kept going. Last year, 2012, the third story was being, was being uh, started and finished. And we were hauling buckets, and if you've heard Jack Rich talk about buckets and buckets and buckets, I mean, they just tie them to a rope, and they pull them up, and they make cement, and they tie it to a rope, and they pull it up. You know, so it's very um, laborious and um, intricate work that's being done. This was earlier this year. This picture was taken of this orphanage, and this is what it looks like today. Okay. This is not just the work of Central Presbyterian. Let me make that clear. There are many other churches from the United States they go down, and they work, and they return every year because of the same reason that we return, is because of the relationships that we build, and we feel this call of God to return, uh, to go back. So now we sent three students down to live with these kids that Pastor Pedro, this was a pipe dream that he had six years ago, were standing out looking at the, this empty basketball court, and he said, there's going to be an orphanage right here. And I kind of laughed at him sort of the same way that Sarah laughs at God and goes, I'm 85 years old." I, how am I going to have a child? And, and God says, no, you're going to and, and he does it. And Pastor Pedro has that same faith that what God promises him he's going to do. Pastor Pedro now is interested in this piece, in this piece of property where we started a foundation for a church building uh, when we were there. This is, this is some land they, they, they already go out and they have a service on Friday evenings and all the people from the community come out into an open field out onto the streets. And they do a service and Bible study, um, and they do it with no building. And so when we were speaking before we went down, he said, I need a church right here, because this is where the people are. And so what he did beforehand, he somehow obtained the property. He explained this all to us. It wasn't his. Uh, He had no money. And yet somehow he got the land purchased. And then he got the materials purchased. He got laborers to start working on it. Um, And this is going to be a church building for people in a community. Now he said, I need to buy more of the property back behind there so that we can build a camp, um, a place for boys to go to, another place for mission teams to come to. He said, the breeze is so much better here than in the city. So it's a lot cooler. It's a better place to stay. You know, God's really, he wants us to do this. And so now my response is, okay, let's do it. Um, Because... When you see someone that has such incredible faith and they tell you something that's going to happen and you don't believe it's going to happen, and then you see it happen, you go, okay, they, they really are onto something. Um, I'm going to share, I'm going to close with, uh, with one verse for you, and then we'll be finished here. Thank you so much for your patience with our team, by the way. Uh, They're very excited. Uh, Hopefully you get a chance to talk to, grab somebody in a blue t-shirt after the service, ask them about their trip. Everybody's got these incredible stories. Uh, We can't even possibly share them uh, just in our time here together. This is Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You know, Pastor Pedro's been praying for laborers to come, and they've come. But the thing is, and I hope that you are intimidated by the people that we brought. You know, we bring cardiologists and uh, nurse practitioners and architects down to us, with us. This is what Oswald Chambers has to say. He's talking about to someone who's saying, you know, why did God choose me? What is God going to do? I don't have any talent. He said, do you say because he has been unwise to choose me, because there is nothing good in me and I have no value. That is exactly why he chose you. As long as you think that you are of value to him, he cannot choose you because you have purposes of your own to serve. But if you will allow him to take you to the end of your own self-sufficiency, then he can choose you to go with him to Jerusalem, and that will mean the fulfillment of purposes which he does not discuss with you. We tend to say that because a person has natural ability, he will make a good Christian. It is not a matter of our equipment, but a matter of our poverty not of what we bring with us, but of what God puts into us, not a matter of natural virtues, of strength, of character, of knowledge, or of experience. All of that is of no avail to this concern. The only thing of value is being taken into the compelling purposes of God and being made his friends. If God can use us, God can use you. This isn't a sales pitch for the Dominican Republic next year, although we'd love to invite everyone to come with us. We'd love to have to close down church here on Sunday because everyone was in the DR. That'd be awesome. But really what what he's saying is that we are nothing in ourselves, but it's only because of the work of God and the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And that's really how I feel about this. You know, we're not superheroes, we're not anything special, any, any special people. Hopefully you don't think we're putting these people on a pedestal, because while I love these people, these are also some of the worst people I've ever met in my life. I've spent a month I've spent, you know, a long time with them. But you know what, they're flawed, but they trust the Lord, and they've got great faith. And thats I think that describes all of us in Christ, is that God can do a work in you and through us, whether it's in the DR, whether it's here, whether it's in your home or your community. Oh, I pray that God will be at work here. So let's pray. Father God, I thank you so much for all that you do, God, for all that you have done in the Dominican Republic, God, for the way that you've worked, God, for the things that you've taught our team, Lord, for the way that you show up and the way that you're faithful. Lord, we pray the prayer that Pastor Pedro prays. God, and we know that when you promise something, that you will bring it to completion. God, be at work in our lives. God, that you would continue to do things that no one else would possibly believe. And we can only point to the work of Jesus in our lives. We pray in his name. Amen. I hope you were duly impressed. Not just what they did, but in the spiritual maturity that you heard and the richness and depth of how they were able to
2: explain what the Lord was doing. Uh, I'm just, I'm really flabbergasted. This is fantastic. And we're all part of it because we send them. And maybe the Lord wants you there next year.